Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Today's guest is the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Change Food. She's the CEO and founder of the Whole Healthy Group and a healthy food advocate for over 20 years. She's a social entrepreneur and a creative change maker. One of her projects is Plant Eat Share, which is promotes food, is, it promotes efforts in communities worldwide to grow and provide food for free to neighbors. Welcome to the podcast, Diane Hatz. Thank you, Joanne. It's wonderful to be here. And where are you Zooming in from? Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yes, and we're going to talk about how you got to Santa Fe from New York later. But I always like to start my podcast with asking my guests, where are you from? I was born in Delaware, escaped to London for a few years, landed then in New York City for 30 years, and about nine months ago, moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. I know we get, we, I don't want to get to the Santa Fe part too much right away because um, there's always a method to my madness here, but we'll talk more about how you left New York after all that time, like so many people did during the pandemic. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do right now? I know there's been a lot of change in your life, no pun intended, since one of your organizations has changed food. Hmm. What I do right now, that's, that's interesting. It's an interesting concept. Right now, I'm... I'm going to be 60 next month. And Congratulations. Thank you. And I have changed food. I've been doing it for over 23 years, which basically we work toward a healthier food system for people, animal, and the planet. I am currently wondering if I'm going to stay as a food advocate, if I'm going to pursue writing, which is what I wanted to, to do when I was 15, or I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing right now. It's a COVID thing. I just discovered, have you heard of Kang Ping? The no, laying flat movement? No. It's it started in oh, China. Oh, yes, yes, in China. Yes, yes, I have. So this woman, and I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. She wrote an article in the New York Times called Work as a False Idol. Idol. She was an NPR producer, quit her job. She's now sitting on her porch in West Virginia. So I would like to say that right now I'm a porch sitter. You're a porch sitter. Could you tell uh-huh. our, I don't think all our listeners know what that is though, Kang Ping. Sure. It's so in China, it's extremely competitive. Um, millennials now feel that they are not going to do better than their parents. So this one guy just went to bed, laid flat. And he's like, well, I'm get, I'm not, I'm out of the rat race. So the movement is, I mean, it's pretty extreme. If you get into it, it's no children, um, no car, you work when you have to, but career ambition and career for materialistic sake is just not what people are going for. And I think with COVID, I'm actually writing an article on this right now. With COVID, I think there are a lot of people who are laying flat or porch sitting, meaning they are reevaluating what's important to them. Um, I think what's incredible, like I'm huge on rent increases right now. Boise, Idaho has had a 200% rent increase because so many people have moved there. So mid-sized cities are having such an influx of people. I think they're, 
a lot of people, and, and oh, the other thing is less people have gone back to work than they thought would since unemployment stopped. And I don't think it's just childcare and just COVID concerns. I think a lot of people are like, screw this, man. I have busted my butt for X amount of years for what, you know, to get COVID. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm learning to breathe, Joanne. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think um, everybody is trying to predict what is going to happen as a result of the pandemic. And the fact is, is that you can't, you know, right. we, pre- we predicted that, no one was going to go back into a retail store again. And right. we're finding out, well, you know what? That's not true because people are starving <laughs> to be in physical establishments. So I, it, this whole idea of trying to predict everything kind of fits in with that, I think. And I think that's exactly where you are as you're trying to figure it out. But um, you didn't, but I want to go back to the nonprofits. You didn't sure. start out in nonprofits. In fact, probably at the other end of it. So could you talk a little bit about that? that? So I wanted to be a philosopher or a writer, but (laughs) was told I would wash dishes for the rest of my life. So was quote unquote encouraged to get a business degree. Um, When I finished that, I ended up getting a master's in creative writing. But when I finished all that, I'm like, what can I do? I don't want to work in a company. So I compromised. I rented a U-Haul, drove myself to New York City, and got this amazing job in the music industry at, at the time, Island Records, which was downtown um, above Tower Records, dating oh, myself. Wow. Yeah, dating myself. Uh, and I worked in the music industry for eight years. I went from there to an indie label. So I was totally into music industry. Then I ended up at Sony Music, which is a big corporate. It could be any really corporation. I actually screamed down the hall once. We could be selling tampons and nobody <laughs> would know the difference. Um <laughs> So I was told by the CFO that I would never get promoted. So I'm like, what? So I found this ad in the New York Times at the time he faxed, faxed a resume and just fell into a nonprofit. I didn't know what nonprofit was. I, I was not, um, I was not of the, I don't want to say class, but I wasn't the kind of person that could intern. I had to work my whole life. Like I couldn't do something for free. So when I got into nonprofit and people were interning and volunteering, I didn't understand it first. And then I really got into it, like, like trying to create change. 20 some years ago, it was very innovative. Not many people cared about the food movement, like changing food, healthy mm-hmm. food. The organic standards hadn't been developed yet, like the national standards. So I, it was really fun. It was really groundbreaking. I got to do all this creative stuff. Um, so I, I, I hate to say it, but I fell into it. Or we could take it at a universal level. You know, I attracted it into my life. No, I, I, um, I, I call that serendipity. I think that I, I don't think that there's that many people that I have met in my life who had any linear path to where they were going to. Right. And right. Yet, yet we're taught that when we're kids, yes. that, you know, you got to do this and then you got to do this and then this is going to happen. And really nothing's happened like that for me. I mean, my path has been very circuitous, I'd like to say. So I, I think it was rather serendipitous. That's my new favorite, my new favorite expression. Um, but so were you, 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 it wasn't, you fell into the food part. It wasn't that it was like, Oh, food is the thing that I want to get behind becoming, because you really are a food advocate, whether or not you choose to continue to go that path or not, you are a food. Advocate. I, and and I, I should probably clarify. I will probably write books. It will probably still, but as an advocate going out, trying to get people to plant 
food and share it for free. I don't know if you know, I don't know if I have the energy anymore at 60. Um, so, and I'm sorry, I forgot your question. What are we talking about? Are we talking about food? Food. <laughs> So, so when I this got is going to be it, a fun one, listeners. I can tell. <laughs> when I first started, I was actually helping shut down factory farms. People didn't know what factory farms were back then. And if you don't know, listeners, it's basically confined operations where animals are raised in these horrifically inhumane conditions. So I worked with a team of farmer consultants around the country. They would go into towns and try to hold them accountable or stop them from being allowed to come in. Right. So that got me like really into the injustices that go on and how people who don't have the economic means to sway a politician or a policymaker, how they tend to be overlooked. So I got really passionate about that. Then I realized that was so depressing. The way I felt to get people interested in food is to come at it from the sustainable, delicious farm to table fun side. So I was just really fortunate because I got to do the really on the ground advocacy. Um, For me personally, it took about 20 years, just a few years ago. I woke up one day and I said, "I, I don't need to suffer to save the world. So my whole belief about the nonprofit model has shifted because I and nonprofits have changed over the last 20 years. Well, I think I think one of the things about nonprofits that people don't realize is that even though they are a nonprofit, it still is a business and you still have to earn money to keep it afloat. Correct. It's a business. And I, for 20 years, extremely fortunate. I had a benefactor. So I, I worked at a nonprofit and then I founded Change Food in 2013. I was given the freedom because I had a steady paycheck to be creative and innovative. So Yes, it, now it's way more a business. And to get funding, you just basically you have to be invited. Innovative ideas are looked down upon. So it is, but it's also artistic. So you know how artists can get grants and they can get, I was very fortunate I had that. And that was, it was that. And, and I believe my DNA is all based around building community, mm-hmm. that food is the vehicle in which to build healthy communities so it's not the food itself. It's the healthy communities that I care about. It's just food is, I think, is the best way to get there. Like if we broke it down, I think every problem could be solved somehow through food. I, I think that's one of the things that I read in one of your sub stacks. We'll talk about those in a minute. Is this um, that food is a human right, which yes. I, I don't think we hear enough about that. Could you talk more about that? Air is a human right. Water is a human right. Food is a human right. I think I truly believe that every human being has the right to healthy, fresh, whole food. So if you want to go to a restaurant, pay for it. If you want to get a prepared meal, pay for it. But fruits, vegetables, seeds, nuts, and grains should be provided for free to anyone who wants it. I don't care your income level, but it is ridiculous that it's been marketed and it's it's something that people make money off at the expense of the lives, literally of other people. No, you're right. Cause it's a lot, it's a lot more expensive to eat healthy. It is. And you know, everybody laughed at universal basic income really, I think until Andrew Yang started talking about it a lot. And there have been some experiments in some towns and it does seem to 
be beneficial? Well, in addition to, or in lieu of, why not universal basic food? And if we looked at just subsidies that go to the commodity farmers, so that's like corn, wheat, cotton, soy, if those subsidies were shifted just a bit toward providing healthy food, it could be done without raising taxes, without charging people more money. It could be done easily. And people just, it, I don't, Joanne, I don't know why it doesn't get done. <laughs> it's just so, it's a no brainer to me. So, so what I've gotten really excited about, um, I had started planning chair when the pandemic started. And because of planning chair, I'd heard of community fridges. When the pandemic started, I, I deal with trauma by organizing. So I organized a group in the East Village. I was still in New York City then. Organized a group in the East Village called East Village Neighbors. And people would deliver, volunteers in the area would deliver food to anybody who needed it. Walk dogs, talk to people, like neighbors just. And, and what was so inspiring to me is that people all over the world did this. Nobody sent an email out. Nobody talked to each other. People just literally said, what can I do to help in this mm -hmm. pandemic. What we found after a few months, like six months, is more people started contacting us, asking us to buy food because they couldn't afford it. So I posted an email out in this Facebook group I'd started in the East Village and a restaurant called Smack up the road, which is a great mac and cheese restaurant in the East Village. Um, the One of the owners got in touch. He said, oh, we've been thinking about a community fridge. If you don't know what a community fridge is, literally, it's a refrigerator. You plug in, you put it outside, and the community puts in food, and other people who need it take food take that it. they need. Wow. So a lot of bakeries, restaurants, stores that have leftover food, we have volunteers that pick it up to put in the fridge. Um, there are people who make food, put it in the fridge. I do. I'm still here from New Mexico ordering food. So we have donations. We order like a huge batch of fruits and vegetables to make sure healthy food is in there. And that's part of the whole thing. And these fridges have taken off like wildfire. Santa Fe just started their first one. And the whole point is that everybody has the right to healthy food. You should not have to pay for it. Um, there's another thing which I love, giving walls. Have you heard of them? No. Giving walls are you go into a restaurant or coffee shop and you buy a meal and you get the receipt and you tack it on the wall. So anybody else can come in and just take that receipt off the wall, walk up to the counter and they get that meal. So you're helping the restaurant survive and you're mm -hmm. feeding people. Why are I just, I, I feel, you know, cause you know me, I, I read a thousand things and I I'm constantly immersed in the news. I just don't think that there's enough conversation about these things or is it there's not Joanne? I've tried and I can't get funding and I've tried, you know, and the funding, it's not just to pay me, it's to hire social media people and people mm -hmm. who can get the word out. I don't, well, okay. My theory is that like, I don't watch the news, especially since Afghanistan and the Delta variant, because I used to watch PBS, but everything is so, in my opinion, just sensationalized to get ratings. Mm -hmm. So it gets us all freaked out and panicked. So you don't want to hear about giving walls and good things that are happening because it's not going to get you all freaked out and make you like glued to the TV. So I just had to cut it out. I think there's a lot of people who have, I mean, I still watch a lot. I have to monitor myself um, because you can't get freaked out. In fact, I, yeah. my last, I did a podcast episode of Solo recently about how you can just get overwhelmed and lose perspective when you allow yourself to, instead of doing something, which is really what you've been doing is taking action. 
and saying, okay, you know, I, I can do something. I, I can make a difference in, in this. Um, you have two sub stacks right now. And for those people who don't know what sub stack is, I want you to talk about the differences. Can you talk about what the sub stack thing is? Yeah, actually, so, you, have, you have me inspired that maybe I should start a sub stack. I don't you know should. Oh, no, you should. Be, you can do podcasts. You know, you can put this podcast yeah. up on sub stack. So it's audio and written, but essentially it's just a newsletter. It's a communal space where people can do their own newsletters. What's different about Substack than other places is that you have control over the email list and you can charge subscription and have free. So mine, I have, so I have two right now. I have change food. It's just change food, substack.substack.com. But change food is all about change food, planning, share, and the work I'm doing. Um, they're all free right now. The other one I have is whole health com. That right now basically is my move to Santa Fe. What it's going to be is I'm going to be 60. Um, I like I started, how you're practicing saying that out loud. You've said that twice now. So I know you're, you're practicing. Very, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it blows it's a big number. I know mind. it's a big number. Joanne, I know. you don't know me well enough. Like I partied. I've had a lot of fun. Like I can't believe I made it to 60. Like <laughs> I am celebrating. You were in the record business. I, I I sold radio. I know exactly what you're talking about there. <laughs> um, but the whole health journal basically, I'm I tried to start a memoir that I want to be uplifting, humorous, but also insightful. Mm-hmm. And I just was too much. So I'm doing these subsets will be articles about different pieces of life. So right now it's just about the move to Santa Fe, but it's going to be like me chasing the Dalai Lama, which was 15 years, you know, me and rock stars, like all different facets of my life. I'm also very into law of attraction right now. And I've really loved self-development. So I've been to Tony Robbins. I've walked the coals. I listened to Abraham Hicks. I did Landmark for a year. Like I did all these things. I want to write. I also, most importantly, wanted to be a physicist. And I have seen that the Yes. And I was told I was of that era. I was told girls can't do math and was Mm -hmm. kicked out of the advanced math class that you needed to get into physics. But what I have seen is woo woo is just another language for physics. And Mm -hmm. that is the type of thing I want to explore while talking about like the crazy fun experiences I've had. All right. Well, I think everyone should be subscribing to that and making a donation so that you can survive over there. Um, so you obviously have adapted a lot to this whole pandemic. And one of the big things is, is this move. Can you talk about that? Cause that's a big thing. You, you I, when I met you, you were the quintessential New Yorker. You were never going to leave the city. Your feet were firmly planted into the cement there someplace with, with green grass, of course, growing around it. Well, <laughs> yes. And maybe I'll go back. Um, COVID was the final nudge push, shove that got me out. I had a horrific New York experience where over 15 years of my work was destroyed and I was pushed out of work I was doing and it, I was gaslighted, which I've just really am understanding how bad it was. So I burnt out. I, 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 was forced to look at what was important in my life because I was a workaholic and I felt that material success would give me whatever it was I was looking for, um, love, attention, and it's not. 
and we all know this intellectually, but I experienced it. And that, it was such a horrific experience for me. I'm still processing it and it's been seven, eight years now. So that started my, I don't think I belong here. Um, when the pandemic hit, I really bumped it up. But like, I mean, Joanne, right before I left, I mean, I was falling flat on my face. It happened three times in a few months. So yeah, like the six alarm fire, the church in East in the, in the East Village burnt down a few days before I'm leaving. I'm like, the universe is saying, lady, get out. Get out. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and, and for me, it was two main things. I had a friend who had moved a lot. I also, a lot of my friends had moved from Europe in the prior couple of years. And a friend just said, just get out. She said, if you hate where you go, go back. She said, but get out, move. You need movement. And I think that stagnation, um, there's a comfort one can get into and a stagnation one can get in their life where everything becomes a routine. And then every, you just start to feel dead. And that's what I felt in New York. I just started to feel dead inside. So it was that friend. And then I had an astrocartography reading. And if you don't know what astrocartography is, it's when an astrologer reads over a map. It's also called, I think, relocation astrology. But this astrocartographer helped me narrow it down. So my, she said, you'll never be successful in New York. You know, and I did go there to sort out my head. Um, I thought I was going to be there for one. I spent 30. That just shows you what's in my head. But she said my hotspot line is San Diego, which is too expensive, through Tucson, too hot, up through Sedona, through Santa Fe. I would have moved to Sedona, but I need art, culture, diversity. Sedona just is too small. And it's just, it's beautiful. And I'm only five hours away. So anyway, just blah, blah, blah. Turned out to be Santa Fe. And I just, I found an apartment and I did it. I just, I'm a doer. Like I'm just, I was so stuck in New York. You were ready. Yeah. And you never went to my apartment. I mean, I had a shoebox. I had your typical, you know, and East Village is so trendy now, but I lived in a tenement walk up and I loved it. It was beautiful, but it was 420 square feet. I have (laughs) 11 or 1200 now, you know, I have a patio. I've, I watch clouds roll by. I've never been happier. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I do believe, and I know I'm biased because I'm going through it, but I do believe a lot of people are rethinking their definition of success. I do think there's a movement of, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why these small, these mid-sized cities are, the rents are just going out of control because so many people are moving there. Like Idaho and Montana, I've heard it's insane that, yeah. that the, yeah. the amount of people that have moved in. It is insane. And again, it goes back to the prediction thing. And again, you know, I, I, didn't go very far, but I did leave the island of Manhattan two years ago. Joanne, that's huge for you. <laughs> it was huge for me. And those who know me and listen know that. I still say I live in New York because I literally am like, if there was a bridge across the Hudson, it would be easier for me to, it'd be quicker for me to walk than it is to wait for the path. But that whole idea of, and I was in my apartment for over 20 years. So having all energetically, there is a, there is a, a huge difference, but, um, one of the things that that you're also seeing is that now, even though so many people left New York, the rents are sky high again because I people know. are moving back. So th- it goes it goes back to this prediction thing. You know, there depending on who you were and where you were and why you're moving in, it, it, it's a whole it's a whole different thing. But to go back to what you said, in any case, it's reevaluating. I think everyone is feeling that because it's you know it's it was a huge thing that we all collectively went through. 
Yes. You know, I also, we, you, you were here on 9-11, weren't you? Yes. You so we were here on the, on the island. I was on, on Manhattan on 9-11 and it was a huge thing that affected the whole country. But unless you were really in Manhattan or maybe near the Pentagon or one of these places, I don't think it affected people as much as universally in that same respect. This is a global thing. Yes. Everybody feels it. Yes. It doesn't matter, you know, if you were living under a rock in Idaho someplace, you felt it because apparently you can get COVID there now, too. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it's interesting what you just said, because I have issues watching anniversary stuff for 9-11. I was downtown. Um, you know, I could see the fire. I, I don't even want to talk about it. So I want to get a, I'm going to get emotional. No, I, I cried for a whole week this year for a whole but, week, a whole week. Right. So I will discuss it with people who were there, but you were 100% correct that, and the flip side to that too, that I always do like to remind myself is the amount of love. Like I, I volunteered at Javits and I remember on the news, they said they didn't have dog food. And I walked by where the drop-off was. There was such a high mountain of dog food the next morning. I don't know how anyone could get to the top to get it. So there was, but anyway, I agree with you. And the pandemic, I do agree that it's something we're all going through. Everybody knows somebody. What's unfortunate about the pandemic is that it's become, there's so much divisiveness in it. Mm-hmm. Whereas 9-11 at least did bring people together. I, I just, I worry, I worry. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I don't want to, I don't want to go off in that. No, 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 no. I could go there too, but I do. And I, I think the contrast with the anniversary, because it was 20 years this year and remembering the feeling of connection that I had to strangers on the street. Oh yeah. Oh, pe- Oh, I had nine people in my apartment. I think I knew three because I lived, I was in the East village and people couldn't get back to Brooklyn. When it, and so just, just hauling people in if they needed something and people were doing that everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, in, but go this, this particular crisis has, you know, as, as, been very, very divisive for, you know, reasons that could be a whole other podcast, but a whole other podcast episode. Um, and that is, a very, I find that very upsetting. I find, and I think that is also a, you know, one of the things that, and I don't want to get too much off track here, but um, one of the things that I found really fascinating, and I, you know, I should have known this as I was watching a lot of these anniversary specials, you know, we didn't have social media in 2001. And, and I think a lot of the divisiveness is being spurred out of social media because it, for as much good as it can do, it can do a lot. It can do a lot of harm. And we're seeing that. It does. In in terms of misinformation and disinformation. And you really, to go back to your whole, you know, nonprofits and food, that's all about spreading the right information. And the same time that companies have been telling us food is healthy when it wasn't necessarily healthy. Yeah. I, I, I just, yeah, I don't want to get depressed, but it's, (laughs) there's just, I, I, it's money. And, and I hope, I, I, I hope that younger people are really taking stock and reevaluating. I mean, for me with the pandemic business wise, I had just finished I was working with a film company on an impact impact campaign around food. It was great. It temporarily was put on pause because they were going to film something, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's done basically because the pandemic stopped the filming. So then I had signed a licensing deal like the next month I had connected with somebody 
And I'd signed a licensing deal to put on big global events around food, like three to five day events. First one was going to be in Denver. We're also thinking Abu Dhabi, whatever. You know, this is in February, March 2020. Gone. Yeah, gone. gone. So my career just went up and spoke. And that's why I'm doing a lot of evaluating. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I came out to Santa Fe and I had partnered with somebody in Italy who also put on big events. We were going to do a big event here because vaccinations were out. And then Delta came and we're both like, yeah, no. So we're not partnering now. Then I was going to put my own event. I'm like, no, no. So I'm now thinking about something smaller, but I don't know. I, I know everybody I know who organizes events is struggling to get attendees. People yeah. are not traveling like they did in person. I If I have to do one more Zoom conference <laughs> i'm going to throw up and i you know what's good about them is you know i put them on i'll mute my video and whatever and mute myself and i'll just do other stuff i can cook while i listen so that's an upside but yeah uh, people are, people are, people are zoomed out um i am teaching out of the three classes i teach at nyu i'm teaching two in person with a mask on and even though that's a little hellish the mask part yeah. it's wonderful to be in a physical classroom. And I noticed that I come back from that physically exhausted. And yet my online class on Monday, I'm much more mentally exhausted. And do you know why? Do you know why? I've read some stuff. It's because we're staring at each other's eyes more and you look away when you're in person. So you don't get as mentally exhausted. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there we just learned something today. Okay. I learned something today. All right. So <laughs> before we keep going on, everyone should subscribe to your Substacks. Um, and really the one, well, both of them are terrific, but this one on your journey uh, to where you are right now is, is, um, is pretty fascinating for anyone who's considering change and how everything that you've done to date still has an effect on where you are in my opinion. I, Joanne, I firmly believe it is all built up to what I'm here to do, that I have not even yet begun. And that that's why I keep going on about 60 because it's like, oh my God, I'm just starting life. I'm so excited. It's not about being old. It's about having some wisdom through experience and being able to apply it. Yes. And for those young people, because I do have a lot of uh, young people who listen to this, um, the best thing about getting older is that the older you get, the less you care what anybody thinks. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know what else there's, I have found? There's something very freeing about that. Well, I don't know if you found this moving to Jersey City, but moving out here, like I didn't know anyone. You know, I had a new job. I plunked down here and I was here for a couple of months and I'm like, God, finding friends when you get older is like dating. You know? <laughs> And when you're older, you don't need to people, please. Well, at least I shouldn't speak for everyone. I don't need to people, please. Like I used to. So I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Boy, <laughs> oh, like you. Oh, you. No, I, uh. And it's like building a community. It's not like in your 20s. You just sort of just sort of hanging out with people. It was, it's different. It, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole different thing. Okay. So I would like to, um, before we wrap up here, I love to end my interviews with a quick little lightning round of questions. Are you game for this? I'm ready. So uh, favorite social network? Favorite social network. Oh my God. Favorite. Uh, favorite. None. (laughs) (laughs) YouTube. 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 YouTube is a social network. A lot of people don't realize it's a social network. It is a search engine and it is a streaming service. It's also a great educational tool. In a way you can like, 
I have a new car. I don't know how to turn off an automatic something. Google it and YouTube it, like search it on YouTube and there's a video. Right. That's something that people who live in New York and leave have to get a car. It's something very foreign <laughs> to learn. And they're all computers now. Got I just got my first, in. Joanne, I just got my first car. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, something people would never guess about you. I can't guess it about me. Uh, I'm an introvert. Okay. There you go. A lot of outgoing people are introverts. It's, um, I think I have introvert tendencies, but nobody believes me. The last series you binged. Oh, you tell me you don't watch television, but I've, I've had that. No, answer. I don't know why I suffered through it, but it was rain. It was rain? the Mary Queen of Scots, Netflix, <sighs> that and Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, but, but I went through, they're like 25 episodes a season and there's four seasons and I would put it on and do other stuff. But I'm like, this is, <laughs> why am I watching this? I've done that too. I think we've all done that. Um, a food you cannot live without. Oh, I started eating gluten again, like a year or two ago. Uh-oh. There's a place here in Santa Fe called the bread shop. It's a hole in the wall. Literally you go four times. With, oh, there's sourdough bread. Oh. And they have this, this cherry poppy seed rye that might sound gross. Oh my God, I can't live <laughs> without their bread. Okay, I love that. Um, what you miss most about pre-COVID life? No masks, being around. No, I don't need to be around people. The freedom to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. And what motivates you to get up in the morning? Hmm. You know, it's funny. Uh, the joy, joy at knowing today, the next, that day is going to be a good day. I love that. I love that. All right, my dear. So, um, where I'm going to put all these links to your sub stacks and your website and your, the, what is that? Astro astrocartography astrocartography all these things i'll have all these links in the show notes and where um can people find you online where would you suggest is the best those who outside of your sub stacks to connect with you mm, i would say the change food instagram because my my personal instagram is personal you gotta know me to get in because you know all the secrets i share on there so i would say uh change food on instagram or yeah, my Facebook page. I guess I would. If you want to know more about my personal stuff, my Facebook page, which is Diane Hats or Hats Diane. I think they changed it on. Me. I, I will find. I will get all those links and make sure that they are the proper ones. Thank you so much. Oh my God! Thank you, Joanne. It's so great to catch up. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs> <laughs>